This broadcast of the PJC Media Network seeks to present wholesome, thought-provoking, and entertaining content. However, the views expressed by the hosts of PJC Media are theirs and theirs alone. They do not reflect the views of this network or its affiliates. Please utilize listener discretion. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk About It with Jenny White Show. Each week, we feature different topics concerning issues that sometimes can be difficult to talk about. These issues concern children and adults who may be autistic, have Asperger's, or have mental disorders of any kind. We will discuss law enforcement and how they interact with these persons. Now, let's start the show. And good, and good evening. Tonight, Tonight we're, we're talking, talking about, about women behind, behind bars. bars. Did you Did ever think that your mother, your, mother, your, your wife, sister, or sister or daughter would ever in, in, a, in, a in a jail? Jails, Jails weren't built for women. Advocates said that's, that's a big problem. problem. In 2009, Jane, then a mother of a five-month-old child, was sentenced to 24 months in Danbury Federal Prison for illegal misusing funds. There she found it with other mothers and unable to see their children. She said most of her peers were serving long sentences for non-dealers. Offended. Separated, separated from their from families, their families and, unable and unable to get, to get access, access, adequate, adequate mental, mental health, health treatment, treatment and basic, basic services, services like, like menstrual, menstrual care products. So James, so James and the number, and the number of, her of her fellow inmates decided, decided they would draw attention to the conditions and fight to change them. them. Kamala, Kamala Harris, Harris and, and others introduced the Dignity for in, in Women, Women Act, Act, which are to make, to make it easier for, easier for women to stay in touch with their children, with their children while, while in federal, in federal prison, prison by allowing, by allowing longer, longer visiting hours. hours. Now, this, now, this is what we're talking tonight about, about women. women Behind beers. And, right and right now, now I'd like to say, say my, my co-host, Mr. Coleman. Mr. Coleman. How you doing? Good. Hey, Jenny White. Okay. Okay. Have, Have you heard, heard anything, anything about, about women behind bars? Yeah, I heard what you just said. You got a you got a bad echo going on though. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering about about that. What do you think? think? About what the echo or the women behind bars? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Women. Women. In prison. In prison. Um. Well, you know, two things. Work on that echo because that's going to be kind of rough listening to that for a whole show. Oh, 
but um, women women behind bars and women in prison. It's a um, uh, it's a bad thing. I mean, you know, it's just as bad as you know, men behind bars. Except you know, um, you know, women being some being mothers. Hello. Still there? Yes. Who's got that music? Oh, okay. <laughs> Somebody's got. Yeah, go to a commercial break and uh, let's try to work that out. Cause... If you are in need of life insurance, auto or home insurance, or need help in getting out of debt, Call your helpful insurance agents at Prime Financial Services. Did you know if you add a child rider to your life insurance policy, you can add multiple children for the price of one, starting at $10,000 worth of coverage for under $10. Call today for a free quote at 313-293-0979. Mention you heard this ad on this show for a free gift. Okay, what is that? Okay. Who's that? Okay. Uh, can you talk and let me cut this off, May? What'd you say? Why don't you take it and let me get my phone together? All right. Put it up. Put it on mute. Go ahead and uh, put it up, put it on mute so we don't hear all that. Okay. Uh, yeah, women behind bars. Uh, you know, I think that uh, it's a um, definitely an issue uh, when it comes to uh, women behind bars. Uh, a lot of women are mothers, and so uh, that's causing a you know them to be without their children, uh, which is definitely causing. Um, childhood trauma with the kids uh, having to be raised either in the foster system or by an uh, relative. So it's a uh, bad situation. I mean, you know, you've got uh, uh, a lot of the kids will be acting out in school and having issues because their parent is incarcerated. Uh, and it just uh, takes years off of your life, uh, you know, based on the crimes, whether it's, you know, murder or stealing, uh, 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 fraud, I mean, whatever it is, um, it's just not a good look. So with that being said, do uh, you have a guest? Uh, Jenny White coming on today. Can you hear me, Jenny White? Okay, I don't know if you're still uh, still trying to get your studio together. Um, but uh, dealing with women behind bars, it's 
a um, it's just uh, terrible all the way around. I mean, and, you know, once they get out, because uh, uh, if they're behind bars, they got felonies, <laughs> you know, and so uh, it's hard to get employment after that. After that, uh, you're no longer eligible for welfare, so you can't, uh, from my understanding, qualify for uh, welfare. So no EBT cards. Um, uh, I don't know if you were able to qualify for Medicaid. You may be able to qualify for Medicaid. Um, so it's just uh, a setup for failure, and it's um, uh, just not a good situation. And so, you know, I guess that there needs to be, um, and I'm sure that there are programs in place to uh, lower the recidivism of um, the women once they get out going back um, because depending on how long you've been there uh, some people have grown accustomed to the system and would rather be there because they're going to get three hots and a cot as they say they know they're going to eat they're going to get medical treatment and they're going to have somewhere to sleep so some people what? find it easy. That that's, uh, that's a good idea. Uh, we have you sound, might want to say something about that. Okay, how you doing? I don't think so. Seven fourteen. How you doing? Hello. Hey. Hello, Jenny. Hello, Mr. Coleman. This is Charmaine Holland. How y'all doing from California? Hey, Charmaine. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, doing wonderful. Thank you for asking. So, yeah, so um, I listened to the topic, and I definitely can relate. Okay. And what I mean by that is that I go inside the county jail on a weekly basis, and I mentor to the women. And And for me, going in there, I learned so much about what the trauma and what the, you know, the situations that they actually go through that got them in there. And we talk about how to deal with some of the issues so they don't have to repeat, so they can go back and try to get their children, whether from the system or try to do better, so they can get their children back as being a better parent that they were supposed to be. Okay. So what um, common theme have you found in uh, incarcerated women? Is there any particular common theme? Were they abused as children? Were they um, they just made bad decisions? Or are there any commonalities that you found? Yeah, a lot of them has been molested as a child and don't have that support to go to, feeling abandoned. Um, and then they go out in the street, and then they end up trying to find that love that they're missing from home, and then they end up getting into the wrong hands and using drugs, trying to numb the pain that they're going through. And then from there, it's always a domino effect. Hanging around the wrong crowd, you get caught up, you got to serve time. And that's how it has been for some of them. But some of them is getting so tired of going back in the system or losing their children where now it's like, look, I need to do whatever I need to do to get my children back. Because, you know, they mothers, they, they love their kid. And they get in a situation where it's like 
it just happened and it wasn't supposed to happen, but it did happen. And now, you know, they kind of looking at their life and say, okay, I could have had done this better. And now that I have somebody or a support team that can help me, I can try to turn my life around and do better now. Okay. How about the women that? We have someone that would like to say something. Hello. Yeah, hi. Uh, Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I I go by solution. Look, I was just uh, engaged in a well, I was doing some research on this issue, so it's sort of uh, fortuitous. It's sort of fortuitous that we're discussing this. But at any rate, if you'll type in to some search engine, BOP, that's the Bureau of Prison, mm-hmm. on First Step Act. It's called the First Step Act. And it was signed. I'm on their website right now, the Federal Bureau of Prison. I'll just read you this. In uh, 2018, it was signed into law, and the act was the culmination of bipartisan effort to improve criminal justice outcomes, as well as to reduce the size of the federal prison population, while also creating mechanisms to maintain public safety. Now, this is fantastic. I think I heard well for prisoners and maybe society overall. But I think I heard the gentleman say that people could not uh, receive benefits. Well, according to this act, they can. And I'll just read it to you. It says, uh, the act also amends 18 U.S.C., uh, United States Code, and it gives the code, to require the Bureau of Prisons to assist inmates in applying for federal and state benefits and obtain identification, including Social Security card, driver's license. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Okay, they can get driver's license and other uh, official photo identification and birth certificates. So there, there are a plethora of benefits, according to this particular act, that are available to them. Has anyone pulled it up? Uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons, on, it's called the first, and first is spelled out, F-I-R-S-T-S-T-E-P-A-C-T, first step. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, yeah and I'll just say it's, it's rather comprehensive because it deals with everything from the uh, mandatory minimum reduction uh, just you know, throughout. Now, the only thing that they hold strict guidelines on is people who were incarcerated for violent crime. That tends to be the worst. But, you know, like it said at the uh, onset, they're trying to reduce the uh, prison population and also reintroduce people to reintroduce people to society. So this seems like a good thing from everything that I'm reading and I just read the overview, and of course it has a, um, uh, for more specificity, it has a website that one can proceed to. But uh, it seems really good and certainly in line with what you guys are talking about. What do you think? And, if you, and you know what, sir? You're absolutely right. It does seem good, but the thing about it is that when the women get out of prison, and I'm only referring to women because that's who I talk to, but when they get out and they go to a program that the state or the court 
um, require for them to do. And if they do not follow the guidelines or let's just say I hear a lot of the females say they go to a drug program because that's, that's what got them in there. So they go to a one-year drug program. When they go into this program, the program is so um, infiltrated with drugs, it makes it hard for them to try to get off the drugs. So now they're struggling trying to stay in this program, but most of them do not succeed, and then they find themselves back into the system. So it's the program that the, the government gives people grant money to try to keep them out of the system. And if that is broken, that's where you find the females and the men going right back in the system. Right. I, I, I can, had you finished? Yeah, I'm done. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I can appreciate what you say. Now, my moniker is solution, okay? I go Absolutely. by Mr. Solution. Yes, yes, ma'am. So my position is to find a solution. I understand what you're saying, and there are a plethora of problems. But, you know, there are nonprofit organizations, and there's a myriad of uh, organizations that collaborate under the rubric of this particular uh, act to help the mm -hmm. people. Now, I'll just be candid with you because that's the kind of person I am. Some people... <clears throat> Uh, place themselves beyond the pale of assistance, at least for the time being. However, I think there are lots of people that could benefit from this because I remember when they were talking about that mandatory minimum and judges would say, well, my hands are tied. I guess I'll give you an example, like some college students, sometimes women and men, but let's just say since we're talking about women, uh, women would get involved with a drug dealer guy who had all the money and the flash and this kind of stuff. And the next thing she would know is that she, was in, she ended up under this uh, draconian uh, mandatory minimum, right? And she was in college, but now she's facing a prolonged, protracted uh, prison sentence. This would address that in part. So that's what I'm talking about. Some people will benefit from this, and I think they need to be allowed every opportunity to do so. What do you think? You know, you're absolutely right, and I will say there is females that are benefiting from it already. Um, like, for instance, I'm in a county, so when I'm in a county, I get to see the females don't be there that long. They have to go to a program or they go upstate. Now, if they go upstate, I think the prison is Talawaxa. I might, might pronounce it wrong, but I know that some of them go up there, and they might go up there for about six months, and then they get the ankle, bra the ankle um, br bracelet on them, and then they can live out in society, still finish their sentence, but they have to stay within the guidelines. So a lot of them are being released. And even a lot of people starting to see a lot of them have the ankle bracelet on. So they are trying to close or reduce some of the prison, um, um, well, some of the jails for people not to be in there. That I have heard from a lot of the females say, yeah, I got six years, but I get to get out and live a normal life. And they prefer that way. And so I think that is helping them so they're not confined to just four walls in a cell that's giving them an opportunity to change their life around as well. So you're absolutely right, sir, and I do believe that does help. Right. I, I appreciate conversing with you, but I, I have a question for you. 
and that is, uh, what are the top three reasons, in your opinion, that women end up incarcerated? Um, domestic violence, being molested at a young child and not having that support, and then the foster system not having that proper guidance with someone loving them. they always trying to seek that love from someone else, and they get into the wrong hands. Right. That's not exactly what I'm seeking. Let me phrase it a little bit more directly. Okay. Yes, ma'am. I'm talking about what law that they break, not necessarily what may have precipitated them, but what law, what laws have they actually broken in terms of the top three violations? Um, murder, which is domestic violence. You know, they try so much help, try, try so many times to get help, and they end up killing the partner. Um, one, the next okay. one is burglary. The burglary, you know, being drug, being on drugs or alcohol, hanging with the wrong crowd, whether it's car burglary or robbing, you know, robbing store, robbing a store, grocery store for money or something like that. And then the other one I see is um. Oh, what's the other one? There's one more. Um, burglary, stealing, uh, murder, and prostitution. Um, not so much prostitution. That's not a that's that's not a law no more. They can go and they can, they, but as long as they making money, they pass a bill where that is illegal now. I'm trying to think. There's okay, one more so murder and burglary. Look here, I'm going to listen to you guys a little while, but I would encourage you to uh, proceed to the uh, F, um, FBP, Federal Bureau of Prison website, and uh, peruse that information because, again, I think it could be very, very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. And, um and you know while you guys were talking i were you know i was looking at this and it uh also says who qualifies for the first step back and it said it affects federal prisoners only so that Ooh, means the act, okay yes that act but, only helps inmates who were convicted in federal district court as a result of uh violating federal law so those are okay, people that you. are in that program and the people okay. that, uh, like the gentleman was saying, that are disqualified uh, from the First Step Act, uh, offenses that make inmates ineligible to earn time credits are generally categorized as violent or involve terrorism, espionage, human trafficking, sex and sexual exploitation. And additionally, excluded offenses are, are repeat felon in possession of a firearm, or high-level drug offenses. So those are the uh, uh, offenses that uh, make an inmate ineligible. So no, this is uh, this is great information in regards to um, dealing with uh, what's going on in the uh, prison system. And this uh, First Step Act uh, deals specifically with uh, uh, federal prisons. So we would be dealing, you know, and, and for this show, for the purpose of this show, we would be talking about women uh, in federal prisons that would qualify for this act. So, uh, but no, that was a uh, great information, Charmaine. And um, how about uh, what do you see with women in prison that have uh, have children in prison? Have you uh, dealt with any of those uh, inmates? 
Are you, are you referring to as in like being pregnant inside the jail and have to give yes. birth, or you just talk? Um, actually, you know what? They passed a bill where they have transgender right now. Um, if if a man says that he's a transgender, he is allowed to enter into the woman prison, which is not okay. Because today I was there and. He looked like a man. He has the man parts, and they over there kissing. They in the same bunk, so you know something's going to happen. And there is some of the females have been pregnant and had delivered some children. Why I've been in there, and it's going on two years now. Now you're saying that they've gotten pregnant in prison. Uh huh. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. So that's a whole other issue. Yes, it um, is. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, was it from the uh, correction officers or was it from the uh, transgender um, person? Um, you, you know what? Some of them, I, I I didn't ask the question. I just see them pregnant. There were like people who I really didn't interact. But like even today, you know, just seeing the guy and the girl hanging, and people tell me. So you know, you have other inmates seeing it. So they say, oh yeah, they do this all day, kissing, loving, bunking, and you know, and that's not supposed to happen. But you know, long as they hide it, you know, anything happens inside. The right, right. Yeah, I've uh. Uh, read a story uh, regarding uh, something similar, a transgender uh, inmate impregnating two or three of the uh, female prisoners. So Yeah, they had something, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, let me cut you off. Yeah, they had something like that in Jersey where they started to have the transgender going to the woman prison, and they didn't think anything was going to happen, but it did happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So it does happen. Yeah. So, uh, so what are the, so in your uh, experience and um, in counseling and uh, assisting these ladies, uh, uh, what do you think are some of the things that uh, should be done uh, legislatively to assist? Uh, they've got the First Step Act um, federal prisoners. Uh, what are some other things that you think could assist? Uh, uh, women inmates. Um, you know what? That area I'm not really um, fluent in, and the only reason why because I just wanted to go and help empower the women. I'm learning more about what I can do and what the laws is out there. You know, sometimes I go and I talk to the women, and they want me to help them with their case or their DA is not, and it's like, okay, look, I'm I'm not familiar with what law you in here for, or what crime you committed. Okay. So that's the area that I'm learning because you know it seems like they need help and guidance, but. I am with an organization that's called SC Justice that help with healing for advocacy. And so what they're doing, they're helping breaking isolation for families who have loved ones in jail. What can we do to go to the Capitol and help change some of the bills that the loved one is being impacted by? Because, you know, I don't get to hear all of it. Only family knows what's really happening inside with the loved one and how they can help change the bills in the law. Now, I know you're in the state of California, so uh, with incarcerated inmates there uh, with felonies, once they are released, are they able to um, vote? Are their voting rights reinstated, or is that something 
um, prisoners uh, or ex-felons can't uh, vote in California. You know what? I believe they changed the bill where you can vote in California, but I'm not sure at what level. You know, right now I'm just in a county. I used to go to the state prison, but that was many years ago. So right now I'm in a county, but I'm not sure about what bills have changed where they can vote or not vote. Okay. I think they can, but go ahead. No, I think they can as well, I mean, under you mm-hmm. know, Governor Newsom. Uh, but I know in Florida they can, and I don't think in Texas they can. Okay, uh, okay. Because I know, yeah. they, I know they've locked, uh, you know, people up for uh, trying to vote or or, mm-hmm. or voting, you know, things of that nature. So. Um, okay, yeah, it so, was yeah. a point where they could not, but you're absolutely right. I know they changed the bill where California they could vote, so yes. Very good, okay. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, how long have you been doing that? Um, I started I started back in 2012 um, in Chino, and these were women who were having 10, 20 in there for life. And I was in there just mentoring them, you know, just giving them, you know, just religious, you know, foundation, you know. But then after a while, I took a break from it. And then COVID happened. Someone asked me if I go to the county. So right now it's been two years going to the county every Friday, just mentoring to the woman, helping them to deal with the issues that got them there, you know, so they can turn their life around and hopefully never come back in there, you know. So that's, that's what I do. All right, very good. Well, I think we have uh, uh, another caller. Let's uh, bring the caller on. Hi, caller, your your name and uh, comment or question. And how, excuse me, I'm glad to hear um, our friend back again. And uh, I was wondering, (laughs) yeah, but I was wondering, is there a certain percentage of a certain uh, race of people that you find in jail out there? What is the rate, you know, as far as race is concerned? You know what? It's, 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 it's so diverse. You know, I don't want to say it's all African-American because it's so many different cultures out here in the county in Los Angeles. It's, um, it, it all depends on what area. So, like, where I go, I go to the county. And so there's two different type of tower. You have an east tower and you have a west tower. And it all depends on who's there in that modular. You know, you might find more African-American in one modular than the other modular, you know. So, you know, to be honest, I, you know, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. I just go whoever wants to see me. That's who I, you know, give that support, that guidance, that one-on-one talk to them. And that's it. So I really don't pay too much attention to how many's in there. Now, if it was noticeable where all I see is all us, that's different. But I don't. I see a, diff- a variety of different um, diversity culture. Yeah. Now, what county is that? Um, Los Angeles. Los Angeles County? Uh, yes. Okay. Los Angeles County. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, just... and I'm sure they have uh, their share of Hispanics there, you know, I'm sure. Yeah, they have a, Hispanics. They have Hispanics. They have Chinese. They have Asians. I mean, they have so many. I mean, I even shock when I see Asian and Chinese, you know, because you don't hear much news about crime, but, you know, right. you do see the ladies in there. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, okay. That is um, interesting. Um, so, yeah, okay, when you look uh, at are the younger are the younger women? Uh, what what would you say the age range? Yes, yes, yes. Majority of them are young women. Young. Um, between I'm gonna say maybe twenty and up. I haven't really seen any like seventeen, eighteen, but majority twenty and up. They're very young. Okay. And you know what the the other gentleman asked me? What was the, one of the three major ones? I couldn't think of it. The other one is drugs. Drugs and alcohol is another one that will bring, will, will get them locked up, incarcerated for doing something stupid while they drugs. You know, on drugs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are children um, able to see their parents? Yes, they they are entitled to um, get visits. You know, the parent's willing to come see them. But they also have a telephone. They can call the parent, you know, um, anytime they want to, you know, based on whatever restriction in that modular for them. Um, If I'm not mistaken, I think think they passed a law where they don't have to be charged for the collect calls. It's just regular standard calling your family. I don't know that that bill goes through yet, but um, every time I'm there, there's always, you know, people waiting to contact family or their friends or somebody. But I will say that, you know, a lot of them, when they go upstate, they have um, email. They have a tablet. So they get the email, go on social media. You know, they have all them options. Mm-hmm. They can do all of that? Yes, that's what I'm told. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> FaceTime, you, you know, about, they can FaceTime their loved one. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about uh, expanding and going um, uh, into other prisons or in other areas? You, you know, I, I really would like to go to um, the county because, and the only reason why the county is because they get to leave soon. And sometimes you, they are in there for maybe six months, you know. I, it's, it's a different type of energy when they're in there for five to ten years, you know what I'm saying? Compared to being in there for six months to a year, you know, the, the, the mindset is a little bit different. I can reach them. I can try to say, okay, well, why are you in here? You know, well, I have a drug problem. Well, why, you know, what caused you to start using drugs? You know what I'm saying? And then that's when we get a little deeper, and then they can say, okay, well, this happened to me when I was young, and I didn't have nobody to go to. And so we always use drugs and alcohol to numb our problems, thinking that problem is going to go away, but the problem don't, don't go away. So how can we address this issue that you're dealing with? Because if you don't address the issue, you're going to go back out there and put a Band-Aid on it again, which you go back to the regular drugs, to cause yourself to come right back on it. So I like the Moore County, but I want to get to more of the young kids that I can at least try to reach before they get to the state or the federal or cause some bigger crime because, believe it or not, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, the mother's in there, so, you know, the children is being impacted. And so when the children is being impacted and they don't have that support, that loved one, they follow the footsteps of the mother, knowing that that's not what we went to, but it ends up happening. So Do what you you're saying is that they'll be in there behind mother. No, no, no. What I'm saying, like, there's, I mean, I'm mean, I mean, explaining one example. This this lady shared this story to me, and it touched me because I could not believe the impact. So there was this young lady. She was raised by her grandmother, and she never met her mother and her father because her mother and father was incarcerated when she was young. 
well, when she was young. So she lived with her grandmother. Her grandmother raised her, protect her from the outside world. The sad part about it, that grandmother never told her what she was protecting her from. So here it is, she gets 18 years old, and she goes out and says, you know what, I'm tired of being stuck in the house. Grandma's not here. She go get a drug dealer boyfriend because she's seen the nice dressing, the nice cars, not knowing what he was doing because grandma's been protecting her. She goes get a drug dealer boyfriend. So now he, now he's introduced her to marijuana. Now she's getting high. Now she sees the young girls, you know, with the money and the nice car. So now she want to do what they do. They are strippers. So she ends up doing stripping, strip dancing on the pole and the clubs and everything. Next minute, you know, she's on drugs. I mean, she says the worst, the worst experience she ever had, but she always had money. She went, I think she went on a police chase, and one of the officers shot her in the elbow. Now she's in prison during 25 years. So she never mm-hmm. seen her mother and her father, but she in the same place her mother and father was at. Wow. And, exactly. So, I, you know, sometimes I say it's okay when we're trying to protect our children, but tell them what you're protecting them from. Don't try to, you know, Shadows, you know, um, you know, keep them protected, but give them, give them some wisdom, give them some knowledge, tell them, sit down, have conversations. And I don't know what grandmom did or what grandmom did not do, but apparently she didn't know when she got out there in the world because she said grandma was trying to protect me. Yeah, I'm sure it's a whole lot of people uh, that can share that story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just um. Uh, the fact that, you know, it seems like her grandmother loved her enough to try to do the best she could. But grandma's, you know, probably old school. And, um, and you know, how teenage girls can be. I mean, you know, they can be a little rebellious, you know, Mm -hmm. as well as the young men. But, you know, we're talking about ladies in prison. So, um, you know, and, and... and grandma, you know, I'm surprised. I've heard of stories where, you know, the grandparents have to kick the kids out because they, they're just out of control, don't want to follow follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, yeah, but, but and on the other side, I mentor to mothers who's dealing with loved ones and some of the mothers that already been incarcerated as well. And so what happened now, their children is in there. So now they're dealing with, you know, trying to help their child, you know, uh, uh, overcome what they had went through, so it's it's like a domino effect, and it's you know it's it's sad in the heart because this is what society you know a lot of our parents, a lot of our families is dealing with you know, and you know it's all about finding a solution. How can we break the barrier of this happening? That is the key. That is the solution that we have to come up with because if not, I mean, it's just going to keep happening over and over again. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, some of these things are generational, you know, like uh, grandmothers on welfare, moms on welfare, you know, the daughter, you know, has two, three, four, five kids, she's on welfare. So there are, you know, some things that uh, are systemic uh, within uh, certain families. Uh, And then there are those that, you know, are determined to break the cycle. 
you know, tired of the dysfunction and really want to uh, make a difference in their lives. Um, so you have to, you know, watch around. You know, they have to watch the people they hang around, you know, even even family members, you know, and, and sometimes parents, you know, if they're not on the up and up. So it's, uh, it's a vicious cycle, and, you know, you can't very easily get caught up in it. Um, and so, uh, no, really appreciate you doing what you do, you know, in the county jail, uh, jails, you know, it's um, helping give the uh, young lady direction to the best of your ability. Thank you for that. Appreciate yeah, you. how did you, you start? Yes, we do. Say it again. I'm sorry. I was saying, how did you start into that? Well, actually, you know, I uh, I converted over to uh, uh, to El Islam. So I was in a religion of El Islam, and a lot of the leaders would go inside the prison and mentor the men. And they used to always have, like, different events inside the jails. And then they started going into the women, and they happened to ask me if I wanted to kind of, you know, tag along with them. And I said, well, sure, I'll go. And so I was in there with different leaders and interfaith men, you know, doing programs in there, and then all of a sudden I said, oh, wow, I wouldn't mind doing this. And so they end up leaving, and I end up staying, and I just continue to go and show up and to be that support because I know how it is not having somebody there to help and guide you. You know, I was a teen mom, so I experienced a lot being young and not having that support. And I did end up having the support when I got older, and I know what that looked like. And if it wasn't for somebody coming into my life and guiding me and showing me, I wouldn't know where I'm at. So all I'm doing is just kind of just paying it forward what someone did to me, reaching out to them. And that's all it is. They, you know, it's just if, if, if all of us had somebody that we can trust that can uplift us and help us and guide us into a direction that can make us better, I guarantee it will eliminate a lot of the problems that we're having. And that's all they need. Have you seen someone that has left and done pretty pretty much good? Uh, you, you mean you know since I've been you there, keep up with them, them or right. uh, you, you know what I I give them a, a a location at one of the mass years that they can always reach out to me. But I haven't had someone to say, hey, you know, I'm doing good. I got the job. No, I haven't. Not yet. Mm-mm. How long have you been doing it? Um, since, I, since I got back COVID, since the county, about two years. Oh, okay. Nobody's mm-hmm. been out since then? Oh, no, no, no. They've been out. They've been out. They go to programs. You know, sometimes some of the programs might be in another state. You know, sometimes when they leave the county, I don't know where they go. But all I can just say, hey, write me if you need to contact. You need some uplifting. You need some guidance. Reach out to this address. And I just tell them how to reach out to me. And, you know, I do get letters, you know, um, you know, just letters, but I haven't gotten any letters saying, hey, remember me? I was in a county. I haven't received them letters yet, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just get the ones that's just reaching out that's already in the county now. You know, just reach out and just, you know, can you reach out to this family member? Can you do this? You know, little stuff like that. That's about it. Well, no one has come back and said, 
you know, I listen to you and I appreciate what you said. Oh, oh, they do that every time I'm there. I mean, I get oh, them crying. I, I, I mean, I, I really touch some areas that they didn't think they were going to be able to reach. And they, I mean, I could just see the light in them just, just change, and they start crying. Sometimes they're like, who are you? You know, because I come to them like a mother. I don't come to them like a, a spiritual leader or anything like that. We're going to go deep. I'm like your sister that you ain't never have or your mother that you never have. That's how I talk to them. And I tell them, I said, look, I don't know what tomorrow might hold. You might never see me again. But whatever I'm giving you today, let that be something you can hold on to and let that guide you in your journey. Whatever, whatever, whatever you need, whatever touch you, try to hold on to that and keep elevating. That's it. Because I don't know, you know, when God say, hey, Charmaine, that's it. I need you to go somewhere else. Don't don't look for me every Friday, but when I'm here, appreciate what you get. That's it. <laughs> okay, pretty good. That part, and, then, and 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 I do. I give them material. You know, they they get some people donate my books, and then I give them one of my books, and then they read it. And we 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 talk about my book and everything about affirmations, and so you know, like for instance, um. You know, I always tell them to say an affirmation, go within, right? So I ask them, like today one of the girls says that I'm happy. So I always ask them, well, what does it look like? What does it mean? You know, let's go deeper. I said, because a flower doesn't tell it that, hey, I look beautiful. People tell the flower it looks beautiful. So you got to be able to stand in it and own it. If you want to be happy, what does happy look like? And stay in it, own it. You know what I'm saying? So that's how we kind of talk a little bit, you know, and then we get deeper about why you here and what hurts you, you know, and you got to let people go and forgive and stuff like that, you know. Okay. But you really like doing that. Oh, I love it. I love it. Because oh, you know wow. what? Yeah, it, you know what? The thing about it is the feedback. I see results. I see change in them just being in there. You know what I'm saying? Okay. They look for me. You know, I had one girl, she was crying. She said, I thought I'd never see you again, you know, because maybe sometimes I might skip a week or whatever, you know. And she said, I did the work that you told me to do, you know, and I said, that's good. And, I mean, just, just the feedback that I get that they be so excited to see me, you know, it just it's just rewarding. It's rewarding. You know, they always say, you know, you're like a fresher brush air or your light is so bright, you know. And even people come and they be like, who are you, lady, you know. And so they'll tell another lady or they'll tell somebody else and they'll put a request in to see me. And I just sit there and talk to them just one-on-one and they open up. You know, one, I had one lady, she, she never opened up. She will always see me, but she opened up and she said, and I always ask them, what is it that you want to do in life? I said, you know, eventually you've got to start living your purpose. And I tell them nature, everything in nature has a purpose, and so do you. What is your purpose? And one lady said, I'm a failure. And I said, you're not a failure. She said, yeah, you know, she said, I blame myself for my daddy dying. And I said, what do you mean? And so she said that my daddy wanted me to come get him out of the hospital. And she said, I you're went there and it. I you're, made a fuss. You're spilling it. You're spilling it. So, so, so the lady, the lady said that she went to the hospital to get her husband out, and her, and I mean, I'm sorry, her father. And that night, she got a phone call from the hospital that her father passed, and it broke her, and she blamed herself 
But I also, and then as she was telling me how she tried to do everything she could, then I said, well, is there something else that's causing you to feel the way you feel? And she said, yeah, when I was five years old, my mother um, told me to watch my little, my brother, and he was just an infant, so she can go get a bottle. And she said, I was sitting there with grapes, and she was only five years old. And she said, I kept seeing my brother, which is the little baby, kept, like, sucking his bottom lip like he was hungry. And so she said, I gave him a grape. And she said, I didn't know that he didn't know how to bite it, so I stick my fingers in his mouth trying to get the grape out. And she said, as I was trying to get the grape out, I was pushing the grape in his throat. And when my mother Mm. came, he almost died. And she said from that point, her mother never really talked to her, loved her. And so even to this day, this woman is 46 years old. She'll tell her mother, I love you. And her mother like, okay. And she said, mother, why don't you tell me that you love me? So she's been carrying that. And, I, you know, and so we talk about that. But they opened up to me, and that allowed me to help them to, to touch them areas that nobody else would kind of touch the area to help them to heal, to know that it's not their fault. You know, she didn't know no better, but she blamed herself for the rest of her life that she's no good. So little stuff like that. So that's why I say I love to go and talk to them. Wow. That's pretty good. I don't think I could do that. It's it's a lot. it's, It's not easy. It, it is a lot. And it took me a while to be able to shift my mindset when I go in there and understand why I'm going in there and to be able how to take um, their emotions and their drama and not carry it with me. But they tell you a lot of things. Yes, they do. They open up. Yes, they do. Okay. And as they so open up, do. I pour oh. into them. Hmm? I'm sorry, Mr. Palmer, what'd you say? No, I was gonna ask, do you um you deal with uh, a lot of grief support as well? Uh once in a while I'll get, you know, somebody who um family, you know, somebody who like who died and they don't know how to deal with it. Yes, they'll come to me and um I'll talk to them. Mhm. But not a lot. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah, I know that, you know, there um, there are times that we have losses in our lives that we need to process and, and go through, and uh, sometimes um, the support's not there. So it was just uh, an inquiry to see if that's uh, part of your counseling. Um, do you, you know, come across that? I, I do. When I'm there and they have somebody who just constantly just crying all day night, they'll pull me out of a, a, a modular and say, hey, can you go to the East modular? She lost her mother or she lost her daughter. She really needs somebody. Then I'll go, yes. But they'll call me. They'll call me to go to special units to help them to grieve. And normally I can break through them where they start smiling and feeling much better about the situation. Yes. Do you work well with the team, or it's just uh, you as an individual? It's just me. It's just me individual. I go in there by myself. Okay, okay. So what does the future hold for um, for these 
incarcerated women? What does the future hold? When I go in the county, there's 3,000 in the county. Every Friday I go in there. Right. And there's some that some that gets released and some that's in there for a while. Um, everybody everybody got a story. Everybody's dealing with something. I, I don't know what the, I, I don't I don't have an answer. All right, that's true. All I can do all, all I can do is do my part and just pray that other people do their part to help them. That's it. Yeah, that's all you can do. That's all you can do. And, it's, and it sounds like, you know, you are helping some of these ladies out and making a difference. Uh, so definitely appreciate uh, your assistance in that regard. Uh, no, it's not easy, um, but it's necessary. It, it, you know what? I do it a lot because, you know what, the children, when I find out some of them sisters got six and ten kids, and I'm thinking, you got all these children, what are you doing here? You know, and I always mm. ask, who got your kids? You know, whether mother got the kids or some of them with the baby daddy or some with the relatives, you know. And I said, these kids didn't come in here to be split up like this. You know that, you know. So I get on them as a mother because I'm a mother, you know, and they'll start crying, you know. And I said, let them tears fall. You need to cry. You need to feel this, you know, because they feeling it too, you know. So I get on them, and all I can do is just hope and pray that they hear me. It sinks in. I'm planting some seeds so they can go back and be a better mother to their children. And I know how the outside world can pull us in so many different directions, you know. But, um, yeah, it, 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 my heart goes out to the children. Well, I, you know, I can hear the passion in your voice, you know, and, and yeah, and you know, can really tell how passionate you are about that mission. Um, uh, so it's, um, you know, and you have to be, you know, if you're going to do it. I mean, you know, like the, uh, there are teachers that teach and it's just a job, you know. It's, a, you know, they they may not have love and and and, and, and patience, you know, with the, with the kids as they – they need in order for these kids to get what they need from them. Um, and so, you know, whenever there's someone that's working with people, uh, they need to be able to have patience and be able to have empathy to uh, understand, you know, their situations and what they're going through. And, and uh, sometimes people just need you to listen, you know, Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I mean to cut you off. I was gonna say absolutely. I think, I think when you have the passion, they know it, and that's why they're easy to open and they're looking for results. They're looking for solutions. They're looking for you to help me, and that's what they come to me for. They come to get help, and I truly believe I do make an impact into their lives where they definitely can make some change. I ain't going to say I can, I ain't looking for a miracle because that's only God's work, but I know that I'm right. there for a calling to help to be a vessel to help them on their journey. That's it. And hopefully when I'm done with them, somebody else can take over and and continue that process. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I mean, it has to be a judgment-free zone. I mean, you know, uh, because uh, I think people, you know, they feel that you're not judging them 
uh, they're more prone to open up uh, to you, you know, as opposed yeah. to someone who, you know, is very critical of, of what they've done or, or their life and uh, they feel that's judging them or someone that acts like they're or they perceive feels like they're better than they are above them. I don't think that that person would be uh, very effective with uh, the mission uh, that you have. You, you're absolutely right, Mr. Coleman. You know, sometimes when they have to go to a drug program, and some women I get, they say, you know, I'm so tired of coming back in here. I keep coming back in here. This is like my 10th time coming back in here. And I say, well, why do you keep coming back? And they'll say, because I'm going to these programs and these people, you know, disrespecting me, not treating me right, blah, 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 right? I said, look, focus on what it looks like. Focus on the solution. If you got to go through this program for a year to come out on the other end so you ain't got to come back, whatever it takes. I don't care if somebody disrespects you. You, you, know, I, you know, I try to tell them it's not always going to look the way you want it to look, but it's the, it's, it's, it's the final result is what you're trying to get. You're trying to grow from this. And so, but you're absolutely right, and that's what a lot of them deal with, and they don't want to deal with that, that feeling like somebody's judging them or looking at them or criticizing them. Then they end up collapsing and then falling right back in that same pattern. Yeah, so that's then what you're saying part. is you're, you're doing the same kids every time you go, or do you change? No, no. So there, there's a hair, a hair through that's still there, but every time I go, there's always a new, a new face that I haven't seen before. You know, somebody else just came into the system. You know, they deal with something else. So I get a variety of different people every time I go up there. Oh, okay. And you like doing yeah. that. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's, 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 it's my calling. It's, it's my purpose. It's, it's my passion. I love it. Yes. Okay. Pretty good. Yeah, uh, I have it a friend. Nice uh, go ahead. Excuse me, I have a friend who works. Yeah, who works. With, uh, she's a chaplain uh, within Wayne County, and she had asked me to uh, start working with her. She's talking about what happens when you go into a prison, you know, prison system, and uh, she they used to put on service all the time at prisons and things like that. COVID, you know, messed up a lot of stuff. She's doing it again. Um, she's very, very, very good. She used to be a school teacher after retiring and things. And, uh, and then she started um, playing the piano at church, you know, at the church for the prison ministry. And um, now she's one of the main chapters there. And um, interested in young people. I know um, right here, I've, I've heard uh, a member of Grace Temple, Ellis, uh, he has spoken about opening up a halfway house or from people coming out of prison to try to help to get back into the system in a proper manner. He was talking about that. And, um, and you know, Bishop Jake has his uh, Texas reentry, you know, recidivism program. And it's supposed to be very, very good in helping people. They had to go through a certain program, and then he had psychologists and things of that nature. And then uh, to keep the house, he talked about it. One woman who 
but out because she had her baby. And uh, I guess she got drunk and she went in the house and forgot the baby in the car. And the baby oh. in the car died. So he, he, how, what's making this, you know, how it's affecting? And he has um, a program working with them. I mean, really intense program, trying to bring them up to a even to the point where he's trying to get them jobs and put them back into the system, you know, back into the, uh, you know, uh, back into the world. Yes. And uh, that, he's very abandoned. Very much that's so. Good. It's, it's a difficult thing once they've been in prison, yeah. Very difficult. Yeah, it is. And I will say a lot of females, what they tell me their main issue is when they get out is housing. They don't have nowhere to go, you know, and that's, that's one of um one of the issues, and right now California has a a, a a bad time, you know, the housing, the homeless situation. So our housing situation is really bad, and that's where a lot of the females are having problems. And even females that's out, you know, they struggling trying to find a roommate or trying to find housing themselves, you know. And so that's where I noticed the challenges. So I'm trying to work on a nonprofit as well to try to help with a reentry program to help with housing so I can at least do my part so when I know they're getting out, I can at least provide a resource for them and some guidance to help them. I remember, uh, you know, we used to have that in Detroit, a lot of the houses, you know, where, where a woman and her children could go. And this woman mm-hmm. came into the office. She was so, oh, she was just evil. I mean, she, she got on my nerves. And she wanted to, so my, uh, you know, for us to uh, get her a place to stay. And she had found a place. And she had got her children. And she had been on drugs, and she was still high strung. And she was just so, I, I wanted to put her out, you know. She was so, you know, demanding and all of this. And she looked at me and she said, listen. She told me, she said, listen, please get me a place to stay. She said, I don't want to stay in this place. She said, because there are drugs even in these halfway houses. And I'm trying to stay away from it. I mean, she was almost begging me. So I pushed it through. And my supervisor, the district manager, I told her why she should sign. And she said, she said she didn't understand that. So we signed the papers and everything for her to get to pay for a rental uh, unit for herself someplace else. She said, but I'm trying to stay off this stuff. I'm trying to, my kids are getting on my nerves, and she needed food stamps, and she needed this. And I tried to make it so that when she left the office, she was able to at least put some food on the table for them kids, you know, and to have a place to stay the life and the gas was on. But uh, if they they can come into the office and just be so demanding, you know, but they're trying to fight this drug system the system that's in her in her in her veins, you know, that she's used to and stuff. I um I was thinking about uh what we talked about last week, uh some of the disciplines that we should have in our lives. One was self discipline. And it's hard. It's hard. It really is hard. Just to lose weight is hard. And not to repeat it over and over and over and over again. We know about that. But um um I mean, I can see, when, especially when they're doing something even extra special to the drug system now that would really make you, you know, once you get, get, get gets into your system, it's hard to fight. It's hard to break those things. It's hard. It really is. But I remember her so well. She was, oh, she kept she looking at me. She said, please, don't send me back to that halfway house. Please, I got a place to rent. They just want the papers. And I, so I made... You know, I got my district manager to sign all those papers for her and made sure she had food stamps when she left and her lights and gas was on. She said, because I can't go back there. Lest I'll be on that stuff again. 
they had drugs even in those halfway houses that, you know, when you come out. And she was really, um, and I did the best I could for her. I never forget that case. It is difficult what we're facing, especially in our community. I still focus on our community because everything's, mm-hmm. like, you know, sex, uh, sex trafficking is heavy. We'll sell anything in order to get uh, what we call a piece of the uh, action in, uh, in the United States. We'll do anything. The young girls, mm-hmm. they get fast, oh, boy, around a certain age. They, you know, they don't have that love, and they keep looking for it, and they look for it in all the wrong places, so to speak. And um, uh, like I said, my friend here who is a chaplain, she had asked me to be a part of it. But then COVID hit, and everybody had to sit down, you know. But um, I'm glad to see that you are working with it and um, giving them a uh, background, you know, of something to rest upon. And to help them, um, you know, uh, come out of it. Come well, out of it as best you. as you can. Beg your pardon. Thank you. No, I was going to say thank you very much. But I will say when COVID, when COVID happened, a lot of programs stopped in the jail and also the yes. county. But I will say that they bringing the programs back in to help some of the women so they can make some better transitions for their lives. So they are starting more and more programs back up now. That is good. That's one thing um, that we're, we're trying to do. Uh, a lot of the programs in the Detroit Wayne County area have shut down. I remember I was working for Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries, and I was just dealing with the men after, you know, after I retired from welfare, dealing with the men. But you can see how it ties in, you know. Mm-hmm. The man is absolutely, you know, all this, it keeps going on and on and on. This one case I remember, if you don't mind me saying, uh, the woman her brother had uh, killed someone and took the body and hid he, he in her home. And her and her children were there. And she said, don't leave that here. You can't do it. And he threatened me. He said, if you do it, he said he was going to hurt her. And they finally located the body. So they asked her about it. She said, look, I got my children here. He told me he was going to hurt me and my children if I say anything about it. But they considered her an accessory. So she still ended up in jail, you know. She's pleading, near, you know, you stick the one half dozen the other. And she said, my children, mm-hmm. I told them to get that body out of here. And so, so that's what happened with her. They considered her you, know, it's fun, it, you know, it's funny that you said that because there was a lady who I talked to the day, and that was the same issue why she's in there. And they're trying to give her 25 the life, she said. And, but she said yeah, because this character she was case, a kind of, yeah. Well, yeah. well, well that, I, think, I think the person who murdered somebody used to stay with her, but... Ten years later, they came knocking on her door, and now she's in jail, and now they're trying to give her 25 years only because he told her after it happened. So, you know, I don't understand the law and all that, you know, but that's what she's explaining, and so she's trying to fight the case because she didn't have anything to do with it. She didn't know anything about it. He just happened to share, but I guess she should have said something is what they're saying. Yeah. If, I, I, uh, I was listening to Judge Joe Brown. It was, it was something on YouTube, and he was saying there's a certain way you have to answer a question. When the police officer asks you, now if they ask you about it, you say you don't know anything about it, then when they find out that you do, then you are an accessory. He says a certain way Correct. you have to answer the question. He said something Correct. like, you have to, I'm, not at, I'm not in a position to answer that question. Or something like mm-hmm. that. I was just listening mm-hmm. a certain mm-hmm. way. And then, then they ask you about it. Well, I'm not in a position to answer that question in a certain way. You know, something he the way he put put those words together. You know, 
And uh, I was just telling my children about it. But uh, if you say you don't know about it, then you do, then you're an accessory, okay? They can Correct. hook in with it. You say it that way, then they have to work with you. you know, they can work with you. I'm not in a position to answer that question in, in a certain way. You know, you, they, you can bring that out. And uh, they can't consider you as, you know, uh, being a part of the crime. And that's what he was saying. Uh, it's very interesting. It's just the way, then, you know, the representation, that kind of, um, uh, you know, they usually get public defenders and things like that that really just want to rush through a case and go about their business, you know. But um, mm-hmm. it's a lot that's facing us, a lot that's really facing us in the, in the legal system now. Go ahead. I was gonna say I was gonna say sometimes when I hear their case they make me want to go to school for law. I was like, This is so wrong, you know, but you know, I only can do what I can do. So, you know, I'll just stay in my lane you but, know, you know, if I know Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen any of those women uh after uh you know this program that they have this guy is going around and looking to cases and uh they're finding out that a lot of these cases that um especially with the men, you know, that they never did the crime because they find out that they've been locked up and they, they, when the, some way or another they can prove that they didn't do the crime or they didn't get this done or they didn't do this after years of being locked up. Is that, have you the ever seen that happen? Project. Where you, what'd you say, co-host? The Innocence Project, yeah. Yeah. Have, have you ever seen that happen out there in California with some of the women you're dealing with? No, uh-uh, no, ma'am. Okay, then I was just wondering about that. Okay, yeah. but do cheer you on. Go, sister, go. <laughs> You're doing a beautiful Thank job. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Well, it was a pleasure, everybody. Yeah, well, thank you uh, for being a guest and talking about this uh, subject. I think it's uh, definitely one uh, that we want to remember. And, I think you know, our friend place. wants to say something else. Before we yeah, I'm leaving right away. I, I do have a question. And I do oh, admire what you're Okay, you... hi. How are you doing? Okay, hi. <laughs> I'm fine. How no, are you? Right. Yeah, I'm well, what here. I was going to say is I, I mentored young people, but never in prison. I thought about it, but I just never got around to it. So there, there are a number of questions. I was going to ask you, is it similar to what we see on TV because there is an intrigue and a mystique about people who, who are, you know, incarcerated. But I guess if, if I have to prioritize my question, it is um, there was a book written by a professor at uh, USC. His name was Leo Biscaglia. He's uh, deceased now. But he pointed out that there were about five fundamental premises um, in relationships, and all relationships have these these core issues. And my question is, is have you come across any of the incarcerated women that are uh, capable of, of entering into a loving relationship or potentially capable, you know, being honest, being sincere, I mean, or is going to prison so traumatizing that it just exempts one from normative relationship behavior? Is no, that a good question? Out of 
No, not at all, sir. You know what? I always tell them ladies, I said, look, I said, God tried to get your attention while you was out in that world and you wasn't listening. I tell them they all in a cocoon state and they all are smart, intelligent ladies, and they have potential of just going through the healing process and starting their life over to be a loving mother, a loving wife. I mean, so much more that they're not broken where they can't be repaired. It's not that situation, sir, and not mm-hmm. the woman that I interact with. Now, I will say you might have some that's a little bit mental where they need some medication or they need a little bit more deeper uh, therapy to help them to unbreak whatever is going on, but no, they, they, they are definitely repairable to be healed and to be loving women, nurturing that society needs. Well, you know what? This is obviously present, and it's encouraging. However, at certain conferences conferences that I've attended and spoken with, um, I guess, prison guards or whatever, and maybe they have a different perspective because of who they were, and also probation officers, uh, females, in fact, and they – you know, would give a different perspective, somewhat 180 degrees out from what you just said. But nevertheless, since you are there now and present, that uh, that is encouraging because they do have to come back into the system. They do have to interact with the normative public at some time. So, uh, but anyway, thank you. That's a uh, that's like I say, that's an encouraging uh, response. Thank you. Excuse me, what was the name of that person? For our, um, his name was Leo, what? Is he gone? Okay. I wanted to know the oh, name I'm, of that I'm book. sorry, was there a follow-up? Yeah, Leo, what was I the think... last name? Oh, uh, Biscaglia. Let me see, let me just make sure I'm checking my little, uh, it's called, one second, uh, yeah, Loving Each Other, Leo... Uh, E-B-U-S-C-A-G-L-I-A, Ph.D., Leo Biscaglia. Would you mind spelling that last name again? Sure. Uh, B-U-S-C-A-G-L-I-A. Okay. And just to to, um, elucidate a little bit further, what he says is communication, affection, compassion slash forgiveness, honesty, acceptance, dependability, sense of humor, romance, uh, including sex. Now, this obviously, you know, all relationships wouldn't include this. This would be specific to a romantic relationship, but then um, uh, patience and freedom. But all of those others, excluding sex, would be current in any healthy relationship, according to Dr. Buscaglia. Thanks very much for that information. You're welcome. We're looking it up, y'all. Okay. Well, I think this has been a good one. Um, our... Speaker, would you like to say something, Ms. Holland, before you leave? Um, you, you know what? I just wanted to say that, you know, 
unfortunately, a lot of the women are incarcerated, and I know that it affects every single one of us, whether it is a sister or a daughter or a wife or a mother. Um, just know that, you know, a lot of time I hear, you know, that they don't have anybody to support them. I just believe that we all entitled to a second chance. We all make mistakes. And if you can understand that sometimes God will test us to go through things, you know, to make us better of a human being, know that sometimes it's not them that has to go through what they're going through, but it's a test that God is testing them so they can learn from it so they don't have to repeat it again. And I just I just want to just say, I mean, we, 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 we all going through something. And unfortunately, sometimes we might don't have to be put in jail to be, you know, to, to do a sentence for something that we've done. I mean, some, some of them is in there for, you know, fighting somebody and got to do six years or still a candy bar and then for six years. I mean, some things are so stupid, but just know that we all human beings and our whole thing is about learning to become a better human being. And some of them might have to go through a storm that's sometimes unbearable, but all they want is loving, support, compassion, somebody to be there with them. And when we don't give them that or we don't give any of our family member that, know that you're pulling them away to go to something else. That's all I just want to just leave you with. That's it. My name is Charlene right. Holland. I am a chaplain. I, I am a chaplain at the county, a motivated speaker, author, and so much more. But that's one of my passions that I love to do. And Jenny, thank you for always, you know, talking to me and allowing me to come on the show today and talk about the women that's incarcerated that I deal with on a weekly basis. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. you're welcome. And you do such a great job. I'm thank thankful. <laughs> um, so am I. My co-host, did you have something you wanted to say? Well, I think uh, well, it was a great show. I think it's a, it's a topic that uh, we definitely need to um, be on top of, um, you know, and protecting uh, our women uh, and girls when it comes to, um, yes. you know, crimes and, and and things of that nature and um, sexual exploitation. Uh, I think that is, you know, very important. And I've got two daughters and two granddaughters, so, you know, I definitely uh, know. Tell me about it. (laughs) Right, right. And I definitely know the extreme importance of, um, you know, protecting your girls to the best of your ability and, you know, having that line of communication open. Um, So it's, it's not, it's a lot of predators out here. So, you know, you just have to. Do the best you can. Yeah. And uh, thank you, you know, our, our guest, uh, again, uh, Charmaine, for uh, participating. Uh, but that's it. How about you, uh, Jenny White? You want to close it out? Yes. Well, I have one thing to say, and it's the three C's of life, choices, chances, and changes. You must make the choice to take a chance if you want anything in life to change. And that's all I have to say. I'm thanking all of you guys participating 
in the um and it was a good one. And we'll talk more next Friday. How about that? Good night, guys. Have a good weekend. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night.